unique ways with Thomas Gerard emerges with people from all walks of life who through their own unique angle succeed and flourish. Enjoy the ride and welcome to Unique Ways, an audio podcast. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to Unique Ways with Thomas Gerard, an audio podcast. Today's guest is a, a really great guest. Um, she can be described by what she brings to a project, persistent focus on user needs and simplifying experiences to make them easy and enjoyable. Um, she provides a combination of content strategy, user experience, design strategy, research-driven design, branding, and front-end development, and a commitment to learning and collaboration, a love of transforming processes and developing new ways for clients to speak to their audience that can be heard clearly and inspire action. Please join me in welcoming Meg Stiven. Welcome, Meg. Thanks, Thomas. Really great to be here. Awesome. Are you ready for 20 questions? I am. Great. Question one. Tell me a little bit more about yourself. What do you do? Okay, so yeah, as you described, I'm a designer and primarily now a service designer or a strategic and organizational designer. I work for the British Columbia provincial government in BC data service. And I've been with the BC government for seven years. And over that time, I've had various roles, but they've all been focused on using human, human-centered design to make services easier to reuse for both citizens and staff. I've had the opportunity to design digital services ranging from healthcare applications to cannabis licensing for businesses, childcare and autism services for families, uh, apps to access self-serve agriculture land use information, freedom of information request process, the legal name change process, and COVID vaccination registration and booking. So really wide range of different things that I've been able to get my hands into working for government. And that's one of the things I, I really love about it. It spans all of the services that people in BC need and uh, so many great chances to get out and talk to people about their needs and how government can meet them. Uh, in my current role as Director of Client Engagement and Service Delivery, I support seven different agile teams in our branch with their design practice and improving how we deliver services to clients. I get to mentor and coach our designers and product owners and develop strategy for how we grow and improve our design practice, as well as how we apply agile principles. I've been in this role for about seven months now and I'm having a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, just to note for our audience, Meg and I know each other from our art school days when I don't think there was a thing called service design yet, was there? Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, when I first took my first service design role, I didn't even really know what it meant at the time. So it is a a newer practice, but um, there's been lots of adoption, uh, well, in all different industries, but especially it's growing in government. Great. Okay. Um, number two, what's a key piece of knowledge that makes you different? I think for this one, my, my key piece of knowledge is that it is fun to work in the space of the unknown and to not have answers to questions. So for this, I, I thought back to, a, there was a key um, moment, one of those moments that kind of stands out in um, I guess in my career past, I was working at UBC at the time and I had the opportunity to work with a, a coach, like a career coach. We all had that service um, as staff at UBC, which was awesome. And I had just come back from leave and come back to find my team full of a bunch of new people that I didn't know. And the practice had really shifted. I was previously doing visual design, lots of posters and handbooks, and uh, we had taken on a lot more digital work and hired new UX designers. So it was a whole new landscape. 
so I was talking with the coach uh, about this and kind of where I wanted to go. And she said, she's kind of spoke back to me what she was hearing and said, it sounds like I'm comfortable just on the edge of what is known, working in that space, just on the edge of what is known and that not everybody is. And so she suggested that as kind of an, an advantage uh, that I could have, even though I was in this new space returning to this team that I felt like I didn't really know um, a lot of people or know a lot of what I could offer. Uh, so that really helped me, I think, to know what I had to offer in that new space of UX design and prototyping and agile that I was moving into at that moment. And this comfort with the unknown has really driven how natural and easy the design researcher role has always felt to me. Really love the process of talking to people, guiding unscripted conversations, following threads, and kind of acting in the moment to peel back the layers of a situation or a context. And then the analysis work that comes along with research, taking a huge amount of complex information and looking for patterns and seeing what's important emerge. I think um, I know that I'm not overwhelmed by complexity or ambiguity, and that's really important in this kind of work. The colleagues that I have that have that same, you know, key piece of knowledge about that being a fun space to work in uh, are people that I really enjoy working with as well. Nice. Um, you know, yesterday evening, I was chatting with the previous guest, Keith Tam, and uh, we were talking about, you know, the art school days, and he was saying how, Meg, you were on his hiring committee for his uh, assistant professor role uh, at that time. And I imagine that must have been something new for you, too, like jumping into the unknown a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that was, I remember that. I was really, felt really lucky to get to be on a hiring committee there and get that experience. And it's definitely something I do a ton in my role now, uh, hiring people. So sort of adding up all that experience over the years, it started out with with that one for Keith. That's a cool memory. Awesome. Uh, number three, why this of all things? Why do you do what you do? Okay, so originally I got into design because I loved art, but I wanted the things I made to be a conversation with an audience in a more direct way, uh, where my work needed to persuade people to take an action. And I shifted away from graphic design to UX and user experience design because I could observe that conversation or action in a more direct way. I got to watch people use the products I designed and improve them. So that was a really key um, piece of kind of why I moved away from graphic design and into UX and then service design. I started working in government really just because I moved to Victoria from Vancouver seven years ago and thought I might as well try working for government. So many people in Victoria do. And I happened to have a friend at the time um, who was hiring a designer into his, his area of government. It turned out to be way more fun than I expected. I love complexity and problem solving and government is full of complex problems. And so it's full of opportunities for improvement and opportunities to really meet important needs that people have in their daily lives. I've always worked in the public sector and I think it's been really great to get to design, uh, apply design to those, those problems that people have in their lives and know that you're really contributing to an important service. When I did shift into service design shortly after I joined government, it felt really natural, even though, as I, I mentioned, I didn't know what service design was at the time. Um, and for, for those who maybe don't know, it's looking at um, the whole end-to-end -end journey that someone has in order to meet a goal. Um, so bigger than just user experience design, it also looks at offline uh, services and interactions, and it looks at the front and back end of a service. So the people accessing the service, but also the staff who are delivering the service and all of the organizational policies and processes that support that. So when I first started doing service design in government, I was working on a couple of apps that were used by public or by government staff. 
uh, but the staff in our area had to receive data from those apps and process it. And I knew I really wanted to the process to work for both sides. So I naturally just kind of started observing staff processes behind the scenes and looking at ways to make it easier. And what I've always really loved about service design is that it gives me that chance to do what I love, which is listen to people, understand what's underneath their behavior, and then use that to spark design ideas. And it's all about making things simpler. So plain language, simple UIs and processes, and really understanding what people's end goal is and then making it easier for them to reach that. And I find that kind of work really satisfying. That's awesome. You know, recently I was in the opposite seat. I was uh, a guest on a podcast and and I spoke for for a length about, I guess, about industry. And at the end of what I said, the uh, interviewer said, oh, it sounds like there should be designers in government. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, there are. Um, okay, cool. So number four, what does your future look like? Yeah, so I tend to be someone who's really sort of goes, I guess, deep into the roles that I'm in and stays for quite a while in, in one job. I worked at UBC for 10 years, and now I've been with government for seven, and obviously through lots of different roles and changing context during that time. Um, but I really like to dig in and learn in one space for a while. Uh, I think I see myself, you know, being in Gov for quite a while in the future. Um, there's endless opportunities across the BC government, and it's really easy for staff to move around to different areas, um, different ministries and program areas. So I, I think that as I carry on here, there'll always be a new area I can move into. There's lots of areas in government going through transformation to agile and human-centered design practices. So there'll, I'm sure, be other opportunities to go and um, kind of teach those practices and build them in other areas. And um, yeah, I really enjoy just the building relationships and helping to form teams and helping teams navigate through change seeing that progress when I stick around for a while. Um, other than that, I think, you know, I have two small kids. Well, they're not that small anymore. They're nine and 12. So really my future looks like continuing to focus on supporting them and, and my family, uh, at least until they're, they're ready to move on to their own things after school. Um, I am thinking, you know, as they get older, I start to, when I get asked questions about the future, I do start to think ahead more to what my life might be like when I have more of my own free time. So Definitely looking forward to spending more time on my drawing practice in the future. And I recently started running some races over the last year, and I'm really excited about where that might lead in the future as well, doing more running. And I think that's about it. I tend to more be focused on now and know that things are going to unfold in a, an exciting way as things go on. Nice. I was glad to hear you bring up human-centered design. Our last guest, BC Williams, BC Williams Mao, Bruce Mao's partner, um, talked about their big focus on more than human design, uh, post-human design. And um, we also had Dr. Ron Mokari on in a popular episode, um, who recently has a book out through MIT Press about more than human worlds as well. I think all of that kind of space is really um, gaining a lot of traction right now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, number five is a fun one. So uh, let's talk about location. How does the notion of place play into what you do? Okay, so I live here in Victoria on the unceded and traditional territory of the Lekwungen people, the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. And so thinking about place, I, I grew up in BC here and um, lived away for a while in other places in Canada, but then came back. I've always really, really loved BC and felt very connected to the 
the ocean and the forest and the mountains here. Um, in my work now, it's definitely really, I think about place a lot. One, because I am here as a settler on Lekwunken lands and think about what that relationship means, especially to my work and my my responsibility to work toward reconciliation. And, and just knowing that as a settler, I have the privilege of really you know, living somewhere where my worldviews are reflected everywhere in what I do. So I strive to think about how I can bring other worldviews into my work and make space for other ways of doing things. The other way it comes into my work is as we design, you know, working for a provincial government rather than maybe municipal or, or something smaller, when we're serving the whole province, we have to think about what people's lives are like in all of the places around the province and what their needs are for services. And um, in a role I had earlier when I was doing service design, uh, I got to go on research trips all around the province to talk to people. Um, you know, we went we went up to Prince Rupert and talked to families about their their needs for autism programs and services. Um, went into the interior as well. We heard about what people on Haida Gwaii needed from emergency alerting services. So going out and really just actually being, uh, you know, staying in different places around the province for a few days or a week and meeting with families and individuals and having conversations about what their lives were like, what the challenges were, really opened my eyes up to just different ways of living around the province, different contexts people are in and how, how that, you know, suggests different design solutions or what you need to do to design for people in, in all those different contexts. So I don't get to travel as much for my work anymore. And we, we do most of our research work um, actually just with uh, online video interviews. So we're not no longer traveling as much. And there's there's advantages to that because we can actually reach more of the province and, and talk to a wider variety of people. Uh, but we aren't getting to observe right in context in people's homes or workplaces as I used to before. Um, but I do take all that learning and, and kind of still keep that in mind as I'm as I'm working on government services, knowing that you know not everybody's in Victoria and there's lots of different needs that people have. I'm glad to hear you bring up the the interviews. You know, I just finished a master's, and of course, there's the focus on the qualitative interviews and and learning people's stories in a way. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a fun area to explore, especially. When you're at the beginning stages of it um number six if you had to start from the beginning what advice would you give your former younger self i think when i first got out of school i was really you know thinking a lot about what kind of work i wanted to do and where i wanted to go and it's good to be intentional but i, I think i would tell my former self to not really worry about trying to define that so much and just to follow what i'm interested in and if i work hard and i'm respectful that i'll always have opportunities I've certainly found that to be the case as my career has evolved, uh, just following my interest and, and working really hard and building good relationships with the people I work with has led to lots of chances to try out exciting things and, and move on. Um, seven, what's a day in your life like? Well, it's pretty busy given that I have my, my two kids to kind of get around and, and make their day work as well. So um, I do love my mornings that are a little bit quiet before they get up. And I always I have a pretty standard routine for my mornings. I really like routine. So I get up and, and just do 10 minutes of meditation, usually a bit of yoga, always cook something good for breakfast. I love to cook. And then I go and get my younger daughter off to school and then I start work. And my work day might include working on hiring new staff, working on strategy with my direct reports, 
meeting one-on-one with some of our designers to coach them on process or approach, attending sprint reviews to give feedback to our, our different teams' work, reviewing new client agreements, working with our product owners to set and monitor their objectives and key results, sometimes facilitating a workshop or a training session, or meeting with other teams in government about funding or HR planning, meeting with our leadership team to discuss approach to emerging challenges and new business. So lots of varied things throughout the workday, but mostly all talking with other people. Um, Sometimes if I'm working from home, I'll go for a short run or walk over lunch and usually cook some more food. And then I pick my my younger daughter up from school and finish my day at home. That's something I started doing uh, well during COVID times when we had a lot more flexibility to to be at home a lot. And I still really appreciate that that flexibility. So popping out, going to the school, coming back and doing a couple more hours of work. And then evenings, having dinner with my kids, helping them with homework. And then maybe I have some time to myself for reading or drawing or listening to a podcast. Time with my friends and my partner is really important too. So some days going out to dinner with others or going for a hike or something like that with a friend. Super. Um, number eight, lifelong learning is a popular topic. How do you stay up to date? Yeah, um, always love learning and uh, lucky that in government we have lots of opportunities both for um, courses that we can, you know, funding for courses we can take as well as opportunities to learn from the community and government. So I'm part of a lot of different community of practices and listen to, to podcasts that other design leaders in government are doing to learn that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taken a couple courses this past year through IDOU, their online school. I just finished one on activating strategy that was really, really interesting. And I love their courses because they're very hands-on and you bring a problem from your work that you work through in the course. Um, And you get to learn with people from around the world too. So um, definitely love to spend some focus time on learning like that. Uh, I just got a masterclass subscription and I've been listening to a Neil Gaiman course on the art of storytelling, which I'm finding really interesting. And I think mostly I just learned a ton from my colleagues. So having worked in in government for seven years, I've met a lot of people doing really awesome things in the digital government space. So I stay in touch with all of them, you know, get together for monthly lunches or coffees. And that's one way that I stay up to date with new approaches, thinking, you know, what are the people I admire working on? What are they trying out and learning? And I always get new ideas that way. I'm also learning a lot about data from my colleagues now in in my new role and have been learning also about indigenous data governance um, and where our area is working on uh, rolling out some things related to the Anti-Racism Data Act as well. We've been doing some anti-racism training, so also developing in that space. I'm glad to, glad to hear you bring up podcasting. You know, recently we had Debbie Millman on the show. Um, she would have been my first introduction to the podcast world at her long-running design podcast, uh, Design Matters, um, is is such a pillar in the design world, I think, and um, and is a, a really special thing for a lot of people. Um, number nine, what tools do you use? Are you digital and analog? Yeah, I think I'm pretty squarely right in the middle of using both digital and analog. So I do, I use iPad and Procreate and Apple Pencil for my drawing and illustration work, which I really love, but I I do use my physical sketchbook and pen probably just as often. Mm -hmm. And for work, my tools are really simple. Most of my work is done in MS Teams, just video calls, and then in Mural. Um, I do really like to have good note-taking tools and visual note-taking tools, being able to 
visualize my thoughts is really important uh, for me and my thinking and, and organizing my thoughts. Um, I wouldn't consider myself a digital nomad. I'm pretty tied to where I live here in Victoria with my kids' lives here. But as a BC public servant, I am unable to work anywhere in BC. And I definitely enjoy the ability to work from home or from the office as needed. There's lots of great drop-in workspaces in different government buildings around the city mm -hmm. that I can drop into as well. So, so yeah, pretty mobile with just my laptop and some simple tools day to day. Nice. Okay. Halfway here. Number 10, how do you deal with work-life balance? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, I would say mostly exercise. So getting out throughout the data to get walks or runs in, that's something I know just really keeps me sane. And when I don't have it, I really notice it. So that that's the sort of what I've learned is the key piece I really need to feel balanced. Um, also, over the last couple of years, trying out meditation has made a huge difference. And it's helped me kind of recognize when I'm feeling anxious or overextended, if work is taking over my brain space too much, that's something I can lean on. I think I le learned a lot about some of these tools and work-life balance over the, the past couple of years um, of COVID times. We were, the team I was working on at the time was really supporting government's response to COVID and the whole vaccination service and program. And so we were deep, really deep into it. And that became challenging when we were all dealing with the impacts of COVID in our daily lives, but also living at every moment at work in a really intense time. And I was in a new role leading a team and we were hiring a ton of people to take on the, the extra work supporting vaccination program as well. So it was just a really intense time. And it did, it was kind of the first time that work went from being, you know, I think I always naturally had a pretty good work-life balance because I just loved my work and found it really energizing. Um, but during that time, I had to work a little harder to find those other things in my life to, to help bring that balance back um, when it was feeling like too much. Um, I would say also that like, I've been lucky, you know, working um, in the public service, there's a lot of flexibility that our employer has and, and we have that, um, I guess, a commitment to making sure that we're taking care of our lives and our families and ourselves as people, as well as as employees. So that's, that's something I benefit from a ton, just having that um, permission, I guess, to, to prioritize the things in your life that you need to be happy and, and healthy. Um, and I definitely, encourage that with all my staff as well and make sure people know that they can take the time they need for their their health and mental health great glad to hear about meditation i've recently been trying it for just for 10 minutes in the morning and wow it really changes things um number 11 if you weren't doing what you do now what would you be doing i think either illustration which is definitely my sort of second big love as far as art and design um or cooking really love to cook and I feel proud of my skills in that area. What would you not like to do career-wise? This was a tough one for me because I, I can find something interesting about most things. I think it would maybe be something where I didn't get to interact with people. So yeah, again, like, you know, I loved the user research sure role, getting to be out talking to people about their lives. And I, I think any job where I was kind of stuck away by myself, and didn't get to talk to people. I think what comes to mind is like a scientist working in a basement laboratory or something. I would probably hate that. Do you have a favorite word, quote, or sentence? My favorite quote is one from the Dalai Lama. It's be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. And mm -hmm. I like that because I remember when I first heard it, 
I was reading it and I thought, okay, yeah, be kind whenever possible. That's good. Like I can do that. But then you read the second part and it's like, oh, it's always possible. Okay. There's no way out. You just have to be kind. And it, it really is always possible. You have a least favorite word quote or sentence. Again, nothing really came to mind for this, but my partner reminded me that I do hate to be told to calm down. So I'd say calm down is my answer here. Probably a common one for most most women and a lot of people. No one likes to be told that. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what word would you choose? I would choose the word enthusiast. I think I get really excited about a lot of things. There's always a ton of things kind of spinning around in my mind and I, I want to go after every experience. So um, yeah, I've been trying to to use the word excited less because I tend to overuse that in lots of situations. So trying to think about other ways I can describe that that are more specific, but enthusiast is definitely me. 16, what keeps you up at night? So I do sometimes get, you know, kept up at night thinking about challenges at work. It usually would be either thinking about how to approach a particular project or strategy or um, stakeholder relationship, or it is sometimes things about staffing. So thinking about how to fill vacant positions when we have a lot of them, or how to pair people up with the right opportunities, and hoping that staff are feeling valued and supported and enjoying their jobs. Those are some of the, I guess it's the people stuff more that might keep me awake at night. Great. Final stretch number 17. What's a dream you're chasing? Yeah. So I mentioned illustration and I have a graphic novel that I'm working on and I'm definitely dreaming of, of finishing it, although I'm still still a long way to go. So mostly just dreaming of getting some more uh, solid time working on it and, and dreaming of being able to share the story with people when I'm done. Um, it's about grief and kind of the things in life that we aren't taught how to do. It's from a collection of drawings I did while my marriage was ending, which was five years ago. So a bunch of sketchbook drawings from the two years kind of following that, that I've now put together into a narrative. And I'm working on storyboarding and filling in some of the gaps in the story, as well as redrawing the original images digitally. Um, it's a, yeah, I think grief is something that often when you're going through it, you may not have gone through it before. You may not, you really don't have a lot of, you never really taught, I guess, how to deal with that. And so I'm looking forward to sharing the, the story just to kind of maybe give other people who are going through it that recognition of the feelings they might be feeling. And it's also a humorous story though, because there are lots of kind of humorous moments even when you're going through a really hard time. So um, yeah, some ups and downs in the story. Grade 18, what inspires you? People's stories inspire me, as we've already talked about, really watching people try to do something and struggle or talking about their challenges and motivations. That uh, seems to be the thing that inspires me the most to find design solutions. Yeah, I love when people answer that question with people. I remember when I first heard that, it was from uh, another popular guest, Michael Peter, who had just finished his master's at Royal College of Art London and had had a lot of enthusiasm for all of the all of his answers and um yeah when when we came to 18 he said people thomas people inspire me i'll never forget the way that he said that it was very powerful um number 19 any advice you'd like to share hmm. yeah 
yeah, I don't think I have anything beyond what I already shared. I was just thinking, I mean, I often, like I talk with a lot of younger designers who are looking to get into service design or UX. And um, I always just encourage, in terms of advice, I just encourage people to keep, you know, doing things they're interested in and going after sort of complementary skill sets, talking to people, just getting experiences and trying to, um, to build up yeah, a really wide variety of skills. Service design is a really like holistic practice and there's so many different backgrounds that you can can bring to it. So I think just really recognizing the what the experiences you do have and, and how you can apply those in a new area um, is the advice that I generally give. Great, and 20, how can our listeners keep tabs on you? How do we stay connected? I think LinkedIn is probably the best way. I stopped using other social media about a year ago to free up more time to do other things and progress with my drawing and sewing and other projects. Um, I haven't really found I'm spending more time on those other things, but it's definitely freed up my headspace and left me feeling more content. Uh, but I'm always happy to have folks reach out on LinkedIn if they're interested in chatting about anything related to my work. Nice. Well, um, thanks so much for being on. Um, you know, I was really inspired actually by uh, the way that you talk about your your everyday work. You know, when some people would say, oh, my day is filled with meetings, you you kind of had a kind of detailed accounts of, of the things that you do um, and what, what the word meetings might mean, which is nice and, and actually inspiring in that in that it all sounded like it makes you really happy, which is which is great. So, yeah, thank you so much for being on. Great. Thank you so much, Thomas. It was really nice uh, to chat with you. Okay. Take care. You too. If you like today's podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to other episodes. You can easily find them at uniqueways.ca or wherever you find podcasts. You can also find us on social media. And thank you. It's you that makes these great, and it's you who these are for. Stay tuned for more Unique Ways. Mm-hmm.